OWS fam, Sharp Football Analysis Nation. Welcome back to Searching for Ceiling, the final episode of Searching for Ceiling for the 2023 season. We are well into 2024. We are here to bring you the heat, same as always. As always, thank you for tuning in. And if you're new here, we might have something in the works for next year as well. So stick around for Searching for Ceiling, presented by one week season and sharp football analysis. One week season. Mr. Rich Rebar, week 18, brother. We are here. We made it. It is bittersweet. How are we doing this week, man? Oh, man. Yeah. Week 18 is, it, it, it is, like you said, bittersweet is a great word for it. Not just because, you know, it's the end of the season. We, we have only finite amount of football games left. But, uh, you know, it, it was a pleasure doing this show with you. You know, you and I had never you interacted online. JM approached us about doing a show together. We we're like, sure, why not? And uh, we put it together. And I've genuinely enjoyed doing the show. And I feel like a lot of people have enjoyed, uh, you know, listening to us on Friday afternoons for whatever incoherent ramblings we have spun out here <laughs> yes that is the operative word uh, most likely is incoherent uh, <laughs> no i'm just kidding uh but yeah as always dude i've had a blast um but without further ado we are we're gonna skip the like macro view of the slate we're gonna jump right in and start talking nuts and bolts uh i have a feeling that listeners are gonna get the oh this team doesn't have anything to play for right. this team does they're gonna get all that elsewhere so we are going to jump right in, and I want to just leave this completely open and throw it over to you, and I want to hear some nuggets about some spots that you're interested in attacking this week. Yeah, I mean, this is, from a, a slate perspective, you know, tough for me because uh, my favorite type of games are, you know, small field. I like the onslaught games, try to get the game stack right. If I get the game stack right, then the field has to catch up with me. Uh, and this does not, this particular slate does not present a lot of opportunities like in weeks past where there are these games that have not only two teams that maybe are necessarily like going to go full throttle, but also possess the actual weaponry that I want to onslaught the game with. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, one game, I guess we'll start with the one game that does stand out to me from that perspective, just because it's like my favorite game of the week for bit lineup building. And I think you can cross correlate it both ways pretty effectively. And that's Seattle, Arizona. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we obviously know again, like Seattle had, you know, is playing for the playoff lives. Arizona's given us no indication. They are not out here trying like they, these yeah. dudes were down here 21 to six at the half in Philadelphia last week, could have easily curled up and died and came all the way back, fought back and won. New coaching staff, new regime, like they're trying to, you know, institute something. I don't think they're going to lay down and die here at home against the Seattle defense that, oh boy, there was a point midway through the season. I was like, man, Seattle's defense is low-key underrated. You, you know, yeah. you know, Reek Woolen is out here playing well. And Devin Witherspoon, what a pick he's been. He still is playing well. You know, they add Leonard Williams. I'm like, man, they are really putting this thing together. And dude, this defense has just fallen apart the last month <laughs> yeah. and a half. Like, I mean, they got absolutely curb stomped by Mason Rudolph and the Pittsburgh Steelers last week. They can't, they haven't stopped the run for six weeks. Mason Rudolph completes 75% of his passes, 11 and a half yards or pass attempt. They're coming off Kyler Murray's like best game. Uh, you know, inversely, like I don't want to just eat up all the shot clock under because I do think that, you know, Geno Smith's in a good spot too. But like this game, like I said, just you can play it both ways. You can do Geno stacks with James Conner. You can do some Kyler stuff with 
Kenneth Walker coming back. Like this game from the way I typically like to play fantasy football is the one game that draws out to me because there's a lot of ways I can throw lineups around this. Yeah. One of the most interesting aspects of this game that the field probably won't get to is playing both running backs, which I think is viable here. Um, You've got two sub 7K running backs um, and two defenses that have largely been unable to stop the run. So um, if we're talking about a game environment erupting, that's more opportunities for two offenses that have proven to want to run the football in the green zone uh, to score touchdowns. So I think this is uh, one of the more underrated aspects. Um, Are you at all interested in Arizona pass catchers? I mean, obviously, the, so the way this slate is playing out in the, at the tight end position, I think by default, at least in some tournament perspective, you have to at least entertain Trey McBride. Now, the larger field size you go, it's easier to fade him because we're not going to have yeah. probably George Kittle. We're not going to have David Njoku. We're not going to have Travis Kelsey. We don't know if we'll get a full game out of Dallas Goddard, even though I don't think anyone's scared of Dallas Goddard uh, at this point anyways. Uh, so we're really down to just kind of, you know, the Sam Laporta play the whole game for Detroit. He's been kind of banged up. You know, Evan Ingram doesn't have a great matchup, but we know that he can draw targets. And Jake Ferguson, yeah. like, that's really all we need to fail outside of McBride. So, like, paying down at tight end definitely looks pretty optimal. But Trey McBride and smaller field stuff definitely fits. And, listen, we say it every week. Listen, Greg Dorch is just a baller. We don't know what we're going to get. Go. We could get a zero. We could get a zero out of Greg Dorch. We could. But anytime this guy plays and they and they actually like put him on the field as part of offense, like the dude makes plays. Like the guy just makes plays. So I think those would be the two guys. But I obviously Connor is I think like the the crown jewel of the Arizona side. I mean, yeah, just last like this guy's been good all year. Also, Drew Petzing's been good all year. Like this run game has been good all year. It's yeah. like the thing consistent about Arizona is they've been they have been a well-designed run team that run it well on a lot of good opponents too so now you're facing a team like i said over the past six weeks seattle's 31st in the nfl in yards per carry to running backs you know guys like this both Steelers running backs are rb1s this week guys like tony pollard were rb1s against them uh so james connor definitely looks like he's ready to finish uh, finish it strong but i do think dorch and mcbride are kind of the fun pieces I like how we can talk about Tony Pollard like you did, like guys like Tony Pollard, like that bum over there in Dallas. <laughs> I mean, listen, no one wore it worse than me. I was in on him in the offseason and uh, it did yeah. not go well. I, I feel like sharps across the board kind of where I was as well. Uh, we uh, digress a little bit. Um, one of the more interesting games to me is this Falcons and Saints game. And I think it becomes more interesting if Alvin Kamara misses. Um, he is coming off an ankle injury. I did not see where is a high ankle is a low ankle. I did not see what his injury was, but he left in the, at the end of the first half last week, did not come back into the game. Um, and we have Kendra Miller who has basically been limited for the last three weeks, has not played in seven weeks, uh, could be stepping into kind of this change of pace role behind Jamal Williams we have Taysom Hill, who could soak up some additional backfield usage, whether under center or lined up uh, tight end and backfield. It doesn't really matter for him. Um, and then you have this very clear Atlanta defense that they play a ton of zone. They're blitzing at about league average rates. They're generating pressure at above average rates. But they're really the way that they are built is emphasized in the middle of the field. They're, they're a defense that is built from their linebackers and their safeties. And that has led to them allowing the fourth deepest a dot of any team this year. So you talk about that with Chris Olave, with Rashid Shahid, with Juwan Johnson, 
Now, the most like the hardest part about this game is like, who's it going to be? Because Pete Carmichael is a guy <laughs> for everything that he isn't. He at least is very good at designing an offense to exploit the tendencies of the defense he's playing and folds into that the ability to maximize kind of the talent that he does have at his disposal. We saw last week that kind of manifested through Jawan Johnson. He was Jawan Johnson was seeing extreme volume from a um, targets per route run rate um, standpoint prior to Alvin Kamara departing. And then they were up 20 to nil at half and they didn't really need to pass the ball after that. But this Saints team is kind of interesting to me. Do you see any spots to attack here? I mean, this is one of those games we know is going to be competitive, you know, kind of throughout. It just depends. Does it end up being kind of like a, an Arthur Smith, you know, Dennis Allen slog, or do we kind of get, you know, some upside here? I think there's definitely yeah. some individual pieces here that are definitely appealing. We saw Bijan Robinson have one of his better games of the year against the Saints early mm-hmm. in the season. Uh, so he's definitely someone that's interesting. And obviously people probably aren't going to get to him on this slate and are pretty done with him playing or chasing the yeah. ghost of kind of Bijan Robinson. But he he did cook the Saints. And they've been a bad run. De- and up until last week, they had not played the run well over the past month. Uh, but yeah. they did, you know, kind of kind of rise up in Tampa Bay. That was such a weird spot. Um, I don't think Kamara's going to play. Look, the injury looked bad itself. I saw a lot yeah. of speculation that it was a high ankle. He hasn't practiced yet. Remember, we were in this spot week one. These teams played, or not in week one. They, these teams didn't play. It was uh, Carolina, uh, Atlanta. But we were in the spot with week one where Alvin Kamara was out, and we tried to chase Jamal Williams a little bit. And even going back to last year, if this guy doesn't score a touchdown, I mean, he needs multiple touchdowns probably in DFS, and he's not priced down either. The thing is, it's not like he's 4K uh, yeah. and you want, you're going to play him. So he's kind of a tough play for me. What's interesting about Taysom, Taysom Hill is I just don't know how, hell, how healthy he is. Like in, in a game last week where Alvin Kamara leaves in the first half, they're up 20 to nothing. You figure we would have saw some more Taysom Hill in the run game, but he's not getting touches in the run game now for about the past three weeks. He's missed a ton of practice time. I really wonder yeah. just how – healthy he is at this point and how much workload he can take on. I feel like he's not going to be as involved in the run game as people are maybe hoping for his price tag. It is wide open at tight end, like I said, uh, but also Juwan Johnson, it might feel point chasey, but there is a lot of uh, objective stuff in his favor to where it's not necessarily, you know, as point chasey as it sounds last week, he had a 35% target share. He's not going to run that back, but his mm-hmm. previous season high in target share, came against these Atlanta Falcons in week 12 when he had seven targets. And that's something that we've seen throughout the course of the season. I mean, opposing teams have targeted their tight ends 27% of the time against Atlanta. It's the second highest rate in the league. So I know it feels like you're chasing a little bit of what Juwan Johnson did last week, but I do think at his price tag in the context of the slate, he does kind of fit a lot. And then we saw a lot, a lot of it, a hundred yards on these guys in the first half, the last time they played yeah. before things got kind of dialed down. I've chased a, a lot of spike weeks for Chris Olave, uh, the wrong weeks. So, I mean, what, what's another week of going down the, <laughs> going down the rabbit hole? Shameless, man. I will be there as well. What I <laughs> kind of something that stood out to me when breaking down this game is Kyle Pitts, man. And it feels so like wrong and gross, but like Kyle Pitts is top five in air yards. He's top five in, in targets per route run. He's top eight in um, snap rate at, or sorry, uh, route participation rate at tight end. So like, this is a guy that is, involved in this offense still and they might not pass a lot but what's interesting to me is playing Kyle Pitts pairing him with someone like Chris Olave with Rashid Shahid with 
Jawan Johnson. Uh, uh oh, double tight end. Hilo just said, "Do double tight end, <laughs> <laughs> run away." Um, that is what is probably the most interesting piece of this game to me. If it develops, and this is, we have to kind of view this game and, and break it down to what it is and what it isn't. Um, it carries an extremely wide range of outcomes. Why? Because Arthur Smith, if we, we've talked about like the three phases of an NFL football game, it's like your game plan in the first maybe quarter and a half, your adjustments you make after that is game management. Like after the first one, one and a half quarters to like the end of the third quarter. And then after that, it's like, you're in the oh shit realm. Well, Arthur Smith just leaves out one of those steps. He has a two-step game plan. It is three quarters of my game plan, what I'm going to do, and then we'll see where we're at and if we need to even include the oh shit phase. So that like adds to the downside in this spot. Obviously, you said Dennis Allen. You mentioned Dennis Allen on the other side. But the fact that we have the desperation factor does bring some upside to this game. And it would manifest i think in the form of a game or because of a game that is more back and forth as opposed to one of these teams jumping out to an early lead because as we've seen dennis allen is completely fine just turning to the run with jamal williams um for the entirety of the second half in a bad matchup like he did last week with uh against tampa bay um so that at least gives me a little bit of intrigue with something like probably chris olave plus kyle pitts um we also have uh, a guy in Mr. Drake London, who is the only pass catcher on the Atlanta Falcons that is on the field in a near every down role. Like even Kyle Pitts is typically hovering between 60 to 80% snap rate. Bajon Robinson, same thing, hovering between 60, 80% snap rate. Um, Drake London is a guy that if the Falcons are playing from behind, could have a clear path. He's probably the likeliest player on this team to approach or surpass double digits. He's done it a couple times this season. The only time I have played Drake London all season was this game here against Washington when he had 12 targets because it was another spot where we expected this team to have to pass a little bit more. This could be one of those spots. So Drake London at only 5K is at least somewhat interesting to me. And I caveat that with I you must play like a member of the Saints if playing Drake London because you are saying that they are scoring touchdowns. They are uh, playing Drake London is saying that the Falcons are behind in the second half. That's basically what it amounts to. So any interest in London pits, any of that nonsense? I, I played London twice this year, and he's had two top five weeks. Uh, yes. The, the Buccaneers and the Commanders games, the only games I played him. Uh, he hasn't scored a touchdown since week four. Uh, we don't know who's playing quarterback yet. Uh, we're seeing if uh, Taylor Heineke's going to try to play. Yeah. I, I'm largely at the point with the Falcons guys. Like I can see the angle for Bijan Robinson. Like I don't know if he's going to make my my core. There's so many good running backs this week. That's yeah. another interesting thing about this slate is like it's different than a previous week 18 years where it is wide open, but like there are a lot of clear like guys that we can fit in without any salary restrictions this year that we know are proven commodities where we don't have to chase like all these bottom got bottom rung punt plays that I know a lot of people are excited about playing the Jordan Masons of the world or your yeah. strongs or, uh, you know, Richie James or Chris Conley or whatever Jamoke you, you want to punt down for. <laughs> uh, but I don't think it's necessary on this slate, but I am also like, I think if the Falcons are going to shadow realm me, I'll let them like, yeah, I don't like they, they haven't shown like the upside on individual player basis where like I, and like necessarily like I'm going to do a gotcha 
You know what I mean? I'm going to let yeah. someone else try to pull a gotcha on me, I think, this week. Cool. I dig it, man. Uh, so let's let's just ping pong it back, man. Throw me a game that you want to discuss real quick. Yeah, I mean, th- to be fair, like that Cardinal Seahawks game was like the only objective, like great like, game <laughs> spot. I think yeah. there's other like intriguing spots. Like, I mean, I don't know what Dan Campbell is gonna do. I think he we we could take him at his word. I think he he's earned it at this point. He's he isn't really a guy yeah. that gives us a bunch of BS coach speak. But also, why would he play all his guys? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't make any damn sense. Like, we saw what happened to Brandon Staley last year when he tried to play his starters, and Mike Williams, you know, ends up getting injured and can't play in the postseason. The, 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 the margin for the Lions to oscillate from the three seed to the two seed is so thin, I don't see the importance. But if they're going to go out here and push guys like Amon Ross St. Brown against the Vikings and give us pushback to where we could have, you know, this Justin Jefferson run back – I don't really know how I'm going to play the Lions side, but I know I'm going to play through Justin Jefferson for sure. Yeah. Um, he's not he's not hard to get to. I feel like the field definitely wants to play CeeDee Lamb, and I think the Cowboys are an intriguing dynamic on the slate in general because obviously if the Cowboys starters get pulled in this game, it's because the Cowboys starters did some stuff. Yeah, uh, They put up points, but also – which cowboy did the things and you know was it spread out was it a team effort was it just a cd lamb because when these teams played on thanksgiving the commanders and uh cowboys cd lamb had a very mild game he had touchdown 50 yards though he had a two-point conversion to kind of smooth some things out but he's the most expensive receiver on both sites i know a lot of people are going to jam him in because he's not hard to jam in but Justin Jefferson below him, I believe, as a more clear path to overall game targets and uh, potentially uh, a better game environment. Because one, the Lions secondary is bad when it's at 100%. And if they are going to swap any guys out or give anyone any alleviation at at, at any point during that game, it just gives him full thrust more uh, to have a higher game. So, I mean, I outright disbelieve Justin Jefferson's a better play than CeeDee Lamb this weekend. Okay. I I would, uh, I'd get behind that. I, I agree. Like, the Lions are super hard, uh, and some of these other teams are super hard to get a grasp on because we don't know like what we don't know. And to to pretend right. that like there's this like there's this any level of certainty this week is I think um, <laughs> silly, childish, whatever you want to call it. Um, but that said, in those spots that are expected to garner lower ownership, that's when you take those gambles on the uncertainty. Um, I have not looked at ownership yet, but I can't imagine that the I lines mean, are going to. Is it even useful to look at ownership even yeah, on yeah, the slate? Yeah. Like, let me ask you outside of like the obvious stuff. Like, what? what the, I mean, it, it's going to be wide open. Like, it's going to be largely open. Yeah, we're so. probably going to see some of the higher owned plays on the slate be some of these value guys um, that are that are known to be starting. Um, like we, we know that CMC is out. You mentioned Jordan Mason. Um, we know that some of these other teams like the Cleveland Browns are going to be resting starters. All that's been declared out of Cleveland is that Joe Flacco isn't starting. Is that accurate? Like we haven't seen Amari Cooper say no. We haven't seen David Njoku say no. Um, but like breaking down that situation, it's like why would you play Jerome Ford, Kareem Hunt, who has been on the injury report for the last seven, eight weeks? Why would you play Amari Cooper, who has been like, not practicing until a limited session Friday because of his heel and then gutting through it and then miss the game. Why would you play David Njoku, who is such a large part of this offense right now? Like we can kind of read between the lines in a little bit um, of situations, but a lot of these spots are going to be rather wide open um, or filled with uncertainty. And 
we've said this before and we'll continue saying it like the time to take shots on uncertainty with upside is when they're not owned. So right. um, are we expecting ownership on Detroit this week? I don't think so. I would think that they're not going to be because people aren't going to know what to do. Yeah. Like, right. Like, and, and they play early, they, they play in their early slate. So I would imagine we don't uh, see a lot of ownership. I just think people are just going to be, believe it as kind of a hands-off team. And like I said, you know, knowing Dan Campbell, he, he said that they're going to play. And as long as they play, so, you know, so, I mean, do we mix in Amon Ross St. Brown with our bring back? So we mix in a, a Jameer Gibbs. Uh, yep. Those guys have to be on the table, even outside of just playing Justin Jefferson as a one-off. I dig it. Another interesting dynamic of the slate that deserves discussion here is the fact that it is almost evenly split between early games and late games. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very interesting dynamic because obviously we're going to get half of the information before the slate kicks off, but that also leaves a lot of flexibility in the late portion. Are you, I guess, what spots are you driven to most from the afternoon games to be able to incorporate that flexibility here? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, we've got a lot of moving pieces. Obviously, you know, Eagles, Giants is one. We don't really know. Nick Sirianni has been very vague about his plans. He has mentioned yeah. that, you know, resting guys is not, not off the table. I think we have good indication that Devontae Smith's not going to play in this game for yeah. sure, uh, given his ankle injury. Uh, so they're not – why risk that? So do they do a little bit of scoreboard watching? They keep their eyes on the Dallas score? Does that mean their guys play a quarter? Does it mean they play at all? We don't know, right? Like that's just another – wide open things. So you definitely, I, I definitely will probably make some placeholders with like Jalen Hurts, AJ Brown stacks, and then kind of see if we get 11th hour information or, you know, if we get information prior out, we'll, you know, excommunicado that, but uh, yeah. you know, the giants, like the giant side, I think is what's kind of more interesting about that though, because they have some of the cheaper pieces that I think we would want to be interested in. Obviously Tyrod Taylor is on the board again in this spot. You know, we've seen the Eagles. They did it again last week against Kyler Murray. Like this, this defense is just not good. They're not even getting sacks anymore, and they're not stopping yeah. the run anymore. The front half of the season, they were like a dominant run defense, and they aren't stop. They haven't stopped the run since they're by. Uh, so we've got Tyrod Taylor in play. I think we have Saquon in play. I think you can go back to Darius Slayton. Those guys are all intriguing kind of options that don't cost a lot outside of Saquon. Um, and then the Eagles side, like I said, I'm going to try to play by ear, but that's another situation like Detroit where we're just not going to have the information. So maybe gamers are just like, I'm not going to deal with it. Yeah. One thing I want to go back, dude, I forgot. I was uh, fumbling through this over here is Kyler Murray has had 10 red zone rushing attempts in mm -hmm. the past four games. Um, this is, he has zero touchdowns to show for him <laughs> in that span. He had three that I think his first three games of the game, a rushing touchdown in each game. And then, yeah. Has mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So his last four games, he's had 10 red zone rushing opportunities and no touchdowns. So that is at least noteworthy because we've been talking for at OWS. We've been talking for a while about when Kyler is banged up, he does not run as much. Um, it has been proven over the last uh, three seasons that like mm -hmm. when this dude is, it was a shoulder last year, um, this year obviously uh, coming off of um, that extended absence. But when he has been banged up, he does not have that like escapability mentality. Now we're starting to see a little bit of that come back now that I think he has a few games under his belt. He's feeling his knee a little bit more. Um, and that's a spot. He's oppressed at 6,400. Something like a Kyler Murray uh, skinny or even a Kyler Murray double um, running it with like James Connor and one of um, Trey McBride or Greg Dorch, I think is, is, is highly intriguing in this spot. 
I mean, that game, just in general, I think both quarterbacks really stand out to me. We talked about the Seattle side and Kyler. Also, Geno Smith, His first, when these teams played in week seven, he completed 75% of his passes. He had 9.1 yards for pass attempt. We've obviously targeted this really passive Arizona defense all year, but yeah. he didn't get there because Arizona only scored 10 points. And they had 249 yards of total offense. Now, remember in that game, they did not have Kyler Murray. They did not have James Conner, and their starting tight end was still Zach Ertz. Uh, with Trey McBride, James Conner, and Kyler Murray all on the field together this season, Arizona's averaging 5.6 yards per play as opposed to 4.2 yards per play with those three guys off the field. That's a difference between eighth in the NFL to 31st in the NFL. And I yeah. say that because that gives Geno Smith more pushback than they had when these teams played earlier in the season where Pete Carroll was just allowed to do his Pete Carroll second half. We're just going to hand it off a bunch of times. I do think they get pushed in this game. And we know Arizona doesn't pressure the quarterback. They did only pressure Geno Smith on 35% of his dropbacks when these teams played earlier in the year. That was his fourth lowest rate in a game this season. Geno literally has the widest like margin of splits between getting pressured and kept clean. I mean, he's he's yeah. he's completed 73% of his passes kept clean, 8.4 yards for pass attempts when he hasn't. He has the lowest A dot in the NFL when he's pressured, and he goes the 10th in the NFL when he's not pressured. So I even think, like I said, like you could there, this this game is intriguing. So you could multifacet this. You can build it both ways and give yourself yeah. multiple outs based on this game. That's why I think that game, from a cross correlation stance, stands out the most to me objectively of all the games this weekend. I dig that a good bit. Let's talk real quickly about the Chicago and Green Bay game. Um, the Bears highly unlikely to just roll over and die trying to play spoiler against their arch nemesis here in Green Bay. Green Bay, we know, obviously needs a win to secure their, the seventh seed in the NFC. Um, is there upside through all those injuries in Green Bay? I think that's the element you have to sell yourself on if you're because Justin Fields is one of these guys on this slate that does is the type of archetype we look for from a, a quarterback position that has that ability to if he throws multiple passing touchdowns, he rushes for a touchdown, can threaten for 70 plus rushing yards, possesses yeah. the kind of upside to be kind of slate tilting. But I think when you look at the history of this matchup. And what Joe Barry, who I believe you probably have questions of his tenure with Green Bay, but he has understood yeah. the assignment when it comes to slowing down Justin Fields. Uh, so the key to Justin Fields historically in his career has been like, you do not try to bring extra pass rushers against him. You do not try to play man coverage against them. You drop back, you play a lot of zone. You want him to hold the football. You want him to process the field. And the Packers have only blitzed Justin Fields 23% of the time in their five meetings, well below their 30% blitz rate under Joe Barry. Uh, when they have blitzed Justin Fields, he's completed 8.8 8 .8 yards for pass attempt, two touchdowns. Uh, when they blitzed him on 15 dropbacks all the way back in week one, Fields was nine for 11 and 96 yards in that game with his only touchdown. When they haven't blitzed Justin Fields, 6.6 .6 yards for pass attempt, two touchdowns, seven interceptions. You have uh, brought up multiple times on the show the DJ Moore man zone splits, and those tie right into everything we talked about. So I believe, like, if, if you're, you're counting on the Packers injuries, this is, would be a larger field tournament stack for me if I'm playing Justin yeah. Fields and DJ Moore. And if they're going to be really popular, I'm probably just going to outright leave them alone uh, because historically, like, Joe Barry has understood the assignment of no making them them work through this matchup. Yeah, it's funny that the Packers have the blueprint to slow down fields where you like you look at the Lions and they just like they have no idea. <laughs> it's like yeah, Aaron, just, Glenn, Aaron Glenn can't help himself sometimes. Man. I know, dude. He's like itching, man. He's itching over there. So I'm bringing it. I don't care. 
Um, yeah. Anything else in the in the afternoon that you're kind of? I would say Aaron Jones in that game is pretty interesting. Obviously, the Bears have a great run D, but the yeah. Bears the Bears are allowing. 15.1 PPR points per game out of the backfield, just kept pass catches alone to running backs. Now, Aaron Jones, the last couple weeks, hasn't been really evolved as a passer. You would hope they get religion. Week one, they had some nice design plays against the Bears, yeah. Aaron Jones. Uh, so they're allowing 15.1 PPR points per game just out of the backfield through the pass game to running backs. The next, the 31st ranked team is at 11.6. So you're talking about like the, the percentile of increase is absolutely gi- ginormous. Uh, so hopefully the Packers know that. I assume if I have this information, someone the Packers organization <laughs> has this information. So yeah, Aaron Jones be becomes interesting with AJ <laughs> Dillon with that stinger. He's got 20, 20 carries the in back-to-back games. Uh, I think Aaron Jones yeah. is kind of interesting on the site like DraftKings versus FanDuel. I don't think he's hands off on FanDuel, but I think DraftKings becomes particularly interesting. Yeah, some consider me the Aaron Jones whisperer. Uh, I'm very good at identifying when Aaron Jones is going to score multiple touchdowns because there's no variance associated with that. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'm uh, I'm highly considering Aaron Jones this week as well. Um, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. That was dumb. Anyway, uh, we move on. Um, <laughs> with uh, let's talk about this uh, this Buccaneers and Panthers game. We have. Some very clear, a very clear shift in offensive tendencies from the Buccaneers of late. Obviously, they were down 20 at half last week. They didn't really get to run the football all that much. But you look at like their pass right over expectation, their pass attempts per game, their uh, compare it to like their rush attempts per game and all the tendencies that kind of go into that. They're a different team over the last six weeks compared to the beginning of the season. So against this Panthers defense, and I'll caveat this with saying, the Panthers from like an underlying metric standpoint are like run of the mill average run defense. They've just mm-hmm. given up 25 freaking touchdowns yeah, to the position. Of touchdowns. <laughs> so um, take that kind of for what it's worth with a grain of salt, but any interest in like a guy like Rashad white, any interest in a guy like Mike Evans um, who kind of put this team on his shoulders the last time these two teams played. Yeah, you know, uh, I had been, you know, writing up the Panthers since their bye, and they were a pretty sound run defense since their bye until the past two weeks. Uh, we saw yeah. Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones, two weeks ago, really gashed them. They, the Packers, uh, had 143 rushing yards, and then last week the Jaguars, a dormant Travis Etienne, <laughs> uh, they ran for 134. So uh, half of that did come on one run, but it, yeah, it still count. Those yards, that touchdown, still counts for fantasy football. Uh, they rarely lead. The Panthers, uh, obviously, for being the 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 locked into the number one pick, uh, they face twenty nine backfield touches per game. So, like, we're getting workload from Rashad White. So, I think that's bankable. And you said touchdown equity. We know he has it. So, I definitely believe he's on board. There, I mean, this would be the signal for Mike Evans if they do throw the football. The problem is, like you said, the volume. But I mean, Mike yeah. Evans now has played six teams this season that are in the top half of the league in rate of cover three five games against top 10 teams. He's actually faced all three of the top three teams then rate of cover three. The Carolina Panthers are number one in the NFL. They play cover three on 52.4% of passing plays. Uh, against those teams in those six games, he had six for 66 and a touchdown, six for 171 and a touchdown, five for 47 and a touchdown, six for 70 and two touchdowns, seven for 86 and two touchdowns, seven for 162 and a touchdown. That common theme, touchdown in every game, uh, the 162 yeah. was against the Carolina Panthers. Uh, so there, if they are going to throw, there would be some signal that he he has been their number one target versus these structures of defenses. Obviously, Godwin has 
thrown a little bit of wrench in things the past month as he started to come on and earn some target shares. He actually didn't even have a catch when these teams played earlier in the year. He was kind of yeah. dealing like a back neck injury, even though he ran a route on 90% of the dropbacks, um, which again was more that Mike Evans signal. When they see a lot of cover three, it's typically going to Mike Evans because he's the hot, he's usually in the number one read, right? On most of their pass mm-hmm. plays. So the ball's going to him. So I think he's in play too. Uh, I don't think there's a guy I played more this season than Mike Evans. I was going through yeah. it, and I think I think he's been my number one most played player in DFS this season. So what's one more week? Why would I why would I turn my back <laughs> on <him> now? <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> the biggest obviously the biggest issue. Have to throw the caveat: the Panthers are facing the fewest pass attempts per yes. game against this season. So yes, there is that concern. Um, and when you look at, I mean, this is. Avert your eyes if you're a Panthers fan. This is bad. <laughs> like, we look at what Bryce Young has done. Under 200 yards passing in 10 starts this season. Multiple touchdowns in two games. 11 touchdowns versus 10 interceptions. Like, at what point are we not just like, this franchise is a complete joke? Um, I think we're vastly, and I think the, the owner's actions last week kind of added to that a little bit, but... Uh, notwithstanding, I, I mean, this is a, not. I can't think of a team except for maybe the 0-16 Browns that's had a year as worse as this as this yeah. Carolina as an organization. When you factor in the trade, because yeah. remember too that not only did they brick the the Bryce Young pick and they used all that equity. Remember, they came back in the second round with a top 40 pick and overdrafted Jonathan Mingo, who looks, Mingo, yeah, and looks like he's he's dust. Like he's got and he's obviously not playing this game. Maybe he bounces back. I don't want to completely write him off, but he, from my all my work, looked like he was a complete reach at that draft equity. And yeah. so this is not but like they even did that. Now you got the owner pouring drinks on people. Like I can't yeah. think of an organization that's had a worse season than this. Maybe the Owen 16 Browns that year. Like, but man, maybe <laughs> yeah. with Hugh Jackson, but like everyone knew that they were a joke. But like, ah, this is it's bad. If you're a Panthers fan, I don't know what, what you do moving forward. Like, yeah, we're talking about like the the Cleveland Browns bags on the face era where it's like they want to go to the game just because it's NFL football, but they don't want to be seen at the game. <laughs> like, anyway, the fact that the Panthers have faced the fewest pass attempts per game this season is a very clear indicator that they have been playing from behind a whole hell of a lot. What we look for is like that's not bad by itself. What's bad is your quarterback's still having 10 games of under 200 passing yards <laughs> while that's been happening. So, like, we can't even bank on, uh, you know, like earlier this season, it was like, Adam Thielen's alive. And then it's like, just kidding, guys, he's dust again. Um, we can't bank on, like, DJ Chark even. I mean, even at least DJ Chark has scored five times. But, like, even DJ Chark, like, somebody's got to get him the football. Chuba Hubbard, the matchup is not good against a Tampa Bay team that is top five in yards allowed per carry. So it's like, how does the Panthers team keep up? And do we need them to keep up to play someone like Mike Evans? No, we don't. But the the margin for error becomes that much smaller. Um, right. Because we could just see, because we've seen how this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team has operated over the last six weeks, we could just see them jump into a shell in the second half. So Upside is there, particularly I would be, I'm not playing Chris Godwin at all this week. No. I mean, he saved his game last weekend with a uh, 70 something yard touchdown, like uh, in garbage time. But like you want the guys who can do it either from a per touch upside, Mike Evans, or the potential for volume Rashad White. And that's kind of where I'm leaving it. I'm not, 
that interested in Baker Mayfield. Do you have any interest in Baker in the spot? I don't. I know some people obviously the motivation. He's got like a. I've seen like the the contract incentive uh, crowd get behind because he has like a, he's going for like five different things this weekend. Yeah. But uh, I mean Baker on this particular side, I just don't think he's needed. Yeah. Yep, I would concur with that. Um, this Browns and Bengals game, the game environment is not conducive to upside. We'll just leave it, um, that discussion there. That said, because of who is playing in this game, there is the potential for a spark to happen. So like to put that a different way, the likeliest scenario in this game is that it plays to this kind of like end of season slugfest. The Browns just trying to make it through healthy. The Bengals, they are broken, beaten, tattered, everything under the sun. T Higgins, would make zero sense for him to play in this game likely out. Jamar chase is coming still dealing with an AC joint sprain. Uh, he played last week, 73% of the offensive snaps. So like who can we go to for the expectation of volume and the, for the, for the potential for upside, my eye is kind of immediately drawn to Harrison Bryant um, on one side as this athletic type tight end. I <laughs> We were, I was watching this game because I was working it for NBC last weekend. This guy's got a neck, man. Look at that thing. Uh, anyway, I digress. Um, but Harrison Bryant, dude, um, is a potential for upside if David Njoku's out, if Amari Cooper's out, if Elijah Moore is out, which this would be borderline malpractice if Elijah Moore played this week. Right. There were some independent neurologists last week. That was week scary, that man. It was scary. There were some that were saying that was career-threatening, like he should not play another snap in the NFL. And then he comes back to practice on Wednesday. He's like, yeah, I got, I've got a limited session, bro. I'm good. Um, anyway, so it would be borderline malpractice if he plays. So now we're talking about, like, who are the Browns going to be running out? We're likely to see a bunch of Pierre Strong. We're likely to see a bunch of Harrison Bryant. And I think Harrison Bryant, on the considering, like, the dynamics of this slate, is at least interesting. And I think you can bring him back with Jamar Chase if you want to get frisky because – the Browns secondary is also extremely banged up. They have three cornerbacks that are currently on the uh, the injury report. Um, and if they were like, if I were to pick who is going to either sit or play a series or two and then sit, it would be like Amari Cooper. It would be Dave Njoku. It would be Jerome Ford, Kareem Hunt. Um, and it would be like the members, the veteran members of this secondary. So there's a lot of uncertainty here. There's a wide range of outcomes, but I think Jamar Chase might be that like pay up type wide receiver that goes overlooked. And again, I haven't looked at ownership, so I don't know. I'm not. Uh, no, I, I can imagine certain. he's going to be popular. Yeah. So um, I think that is at least interesting to me this week, more so than like saying I want to take a shot on Pierre Strong. Um, and it's because like we know, we know the tendencies of Lou Anarumo's defense. They struggle to defend inline tight ends, and that's just a schematic truth of their defense. So um, I think Harrison Bryant is very interesting. He has the athletic profile to be the primary pass catcher. He has the height and the size to be a red zone threat. Um, and if you want to just bet on the game environment, you can also throw in Jamar Chase in there. Yeah. I like Harrison Bryant uh, because I think in the context of you're talking about the, the positions that punt on with these kind of guys that are playing and like what could be end up being glorified preseason games. Cause that's yeah. the other thing you have to count on too. in these environments, the game environments could also be just bad and not conducive oh, yeah. points like a preseason game. 
so that's why I think when you look at the, the way the tight end landscape is positioned this week, that punting at tight end, I don't think it hurts you. If Harrison Bryant bricks, if Davis Allen bricks, if Noah Gray bricks, like I don't know, think that's really going to hurt you as much as where you say like Pierre Strong or Jordan Mason or yeah. Cedric Tillman or Richie James at these other positions. I just think that they aren't needed. I, I, I don't see any salary restrictions. To, I've in the line of building I've spent, I've had no restrictions playing the wide receivers and running backs. I want to play. I have, yeah. I haven't run it like the actual ones I want to play before getting cute and saying like, all right, well, what if Pierre strong at 4k does this? What if Richie James at 3k does this? I just don't think they're needed, but at tight end where we talked about, like it's Trey McBride, it's maybe Sam Laporta. And then it's a huge gap to you get to like Juwan Johnson. And then it's just wide open. It's just literally yeah. wide open. So like if those guys suck, I don't think it matters as much, but if you play Pierre strong at his ownership or Jordan Mason at his projected ownership, like, and he has 15 carries for 47 yards, like Godspeed that you did that in large field, like, <laughs> like good yeah. luck. I have a question for you. What is the expected ownership on this man? Harrison Bryant on Christian Kirk. Oh, well, if he's active, he will be, I imagine at least 40% in every in every cash game lineup 40% probably large field probably 60 70% in uh, uh smaller field stuff i one of the highest guys we've seen of the season probably uh and yeah. it, it it really irks me that sites do this like if they just just leave him at 5k and 6k and yeah. if he's out no one plays him right no one plays him but if you but lowering his price for no damn reason to the stone men on both sites he's 4k on FanDuel 3k on DraftKings now, if you run, you you leave this open for like this backdoor situation. I will say this though: I'm way more interested in playing Calvin Ridley. Than I was going to say, does d- knowing all that, <laughs> do we just click this button? Is that is that one hundred percent want to play Calvin Ridley? I wanted to play Calvin Ridley before any of this. So when I see yeah. that, like, oh, min, Christian Kirk Min Price coming off of a like his groin was literally detached from his body, and yeah. he's going to come back and play five weeks later. I mean, it's we. We have these spots where we don't know if we're going to get these defenses again, right? The defensive variance year over year is just so dramatic. We talked about the Cardinals, right? Like we only have one more game to play against this 2023 Cardinals defense. We only have one more game to play against this 23 Commanders defense. We only have one more game to keep tacking this Titans defense. They've literally yeah. been a team we have targeted for wide receiver one play, alpha X wide receiver play, boundary wide receiver play the entire damn season. Wide receivers have scored 66 percent of the points a lot of the titans the highest rate in the nfl they're 29th in points per game allowed to opposing wide receiver ones they are dead last in the nfl in receptions and yards per game allowed to perimeter wide receivers oh by the way if you want a box score hunt calvin ridley had 100 yards and two touchdowns and they played earlier in the season uh and you talk about high cholesterol target equity calvin ridley comes with high variance but he comes with that tournament type of ceiling upside 41 percent of his he has 41% of the team red zone targets. That's number one in the NFL. He has 51% of the team end zone targets, which is number two in the NFL. Yeah. And he's tied with CeeDee Lamb for the uh, base, just 22 end zone targets overall. So, I mean, I already wanted to play Calvin Ridley. If the field wants to just jam in Christian Kirk because he's Stoneman, I, I'm, I'm happy to just keep playing Calvin Ridley. That was beautiful. We couldn't have set that up any better, man. Um, the – I want to – Let's talk about the Rams real quick, because I think it's at least interesting. I mean, we have two Gary Kubiak descendants or prodigies or whatever you want to call it of the of the Kubiak coaching tree um, teeing off against each other here. That does not change. 
So there's still potential upside just knowing that. We know that Matthew Stafford's going to be out. We know that Cooper Cup is going to be out. We know that he, uh, Tyler Higby is going to be out. We know that, that Puka Nakua is going to play. Knowing that Sean McVay it does like facilitate, help his players get records and stuff, and knowing that Puka Nakua needs only 29 receiving yards to break the rookie receiving record, I think it's highly likely he does that. But I think it's also highly likely that he comes off the field after that. So oh, immediately. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like who else, bruh? Like who else is going to be on the field for the Rams? Does Demarcus Robinson play the whole game? Do you think as a as a veteran they would do that to him? How are you viewing this Rams team? I would say probably not, just based on how he's been the core part of that. We know it's a core eleven personnel offense, like it always yeah. has been. So like and he he's completely left uh Tutu Atwell. So I oh, think yeah. you probably see more Atwell, more Skoranek, and who's the other dude? Trammel, uh Austin Trammel, or yeah. like, I think we see a lot of him too. Davis Allen, probably see a lot of him. I mean, the other side's the same way. We'll probably see a lot of Chris Conley, uh, Willie Sneed, Ronnie Bell, Charlie Warner. Uh, talk about, again, that, that's a preseason game. That, that yeah. game is 100% a preseason game. I, I mean, it's just a wide range of outcomes. It could absolutely hit. Like, we know that they're, like, both schematically, like, like, like Sam Darnold and Carson Wentz are guys that have played, that have experience. They could have a relative upside at their cost, too. But, I mean, it's just so hard. The game is such a wide range of outcomes. Yep. Is that said? Who, does anyone have a ceiling in that game? I guess is what I'm asking you. Can you sell me first, on anyone having like a, a ceiling? My my only bet that I would potentially make there is Demarcus Robinson, and the only okay. the thinking that is because so we have to we have to separate the fact that in the preseason these rosters are allowed to have 90 players. Yes. In the regular season, this is a 53 man roster, and you only get two call ups. So you have to be very smart about who is sitting, about how much you're going to be playing players. And if you think about 22 primary people on the field at any given time, like you're starting to get pretty thin pretty quickly um, at certain position, particularly like most teams are only carrying three active running backs. Most teams are only carrying three active tight ends. Most teams are only carrying five or six wide receivers. So if we're talking about, we know for a fact that Cooper Cup is out. We know it's highly likely that Puka Nakua is going to play a couple series, get his 20, his 30 yards, and then call it a day. And eats one of those and, active spots. It, yeah, and eats up one of their active spots. That's the key. So I think it's at least within the range of outcomes here that Demarcus Robinson is forced to play most of the offensive snaps. Um, it is a very fine line. And I think we we need to. We need to at least have this discussion. We need to have this in the back of our minds because the only real, the only real additional information we're going to get is who is who are those two call ups on Saturday. If the Rams call up like a running back and a wide receiver, okay, well, it's probably Demarcus Robinson isn't going to be playing a whole heck of a lot. If this team has to call up like a safety and a running back. I think it's a lot more likely that like DeMarcus, a guy like DeMarcus Robinson is going to just have to go play an NFL football game um, as a potential like demi preseason game. But I wanted to have that discussion and I thought the Rams were probably the best place to do it is because 
Puka Nakua is going to eat up one of those active roster spots. And I think it's highly unlikely that they're going to have Puka, who is much more important to yeah, his offense than a guy Robinson. like, yeah, than a guy like Demarcus Robinson. Um, it's at least interesting. So if we see on Saturday that like they call up a linebacker and a safety, it's like, okay, well, I, I might throw Demarcus Robinson in some of these. We know he has the upside. He's 4,500. I would much rather take a swing and miss on a guy like Demarcus Robinson in that spot than some of these other like Cedric Tillman um, yeah. guys that you've mentioned before. So I thought yeah. that was interesting, worth having the discussion. Uh, I wanted to hear your take on it before I kind of gave mine. Um, and I think it's the same kind of thought process as like Dallas or Detroit on this slate is like, we don't know what we don't know, but we can kind of leverage a little bit of this ownership um, to place ourselves in the best position to really make a difference if the gamble that we're making is is right. So just worth it uh, to have that discussion. Um, Denver, Las Vegas, anything to talk about there? <laughs> Not really. I mean, we'll see if the mirror might be really popular. Yeah. He'll be popular again. And for an okay reason, I suppose. Yeah, but again, we only have one more week to spend with this 2023 Denver Broncos run defense. Yeah. Um, the last time the Dallas Cowboys played the Washington Commanders, we see um, Brianna Cooks have one of his better games of the season. Any going back to the well there or any interest in Jake Ferguson for his red zone role there? Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with either for like touchdown hunting. I think with both players, that's largely what you're doing. It is interesting. The one area where the commanders have actually been good is slowing down tight ends. Yeah. Uh, like even on a per target basis, it's not just like because like part of it's like, all right, well, they're good against tight ends because they just give up the bag, the wide receivers and running backs. But actually on an efficiency basis, they have been actually really good against uh, tight ends. Uh, also, they don't face a lot of targets tight ends because they, again, just get crushed by the other players, <laughs> but uh, they have been good against tight ends. So he's largely touchdown hunting. Brandon Cooks, we know he's kind of like Dallas Gabe Davis, right? Like you know, yeah. I mean, he's better player. He's a better real football player than Gabe Davis, but you know what I mean. Um, a Tony Pollard, I think, becomes interesting if they're like right, like if, if there is a game that they're gonna like run the football a lot too, it could be this one. Uh, you know, we've seen them consistently give up production to running backs. Like I said, even though Chris McCaffrey didn't have like that Uber, like slate breaking game, they still gave up 200 total yards and a touchdown to San Francisco running backs last week. Yeah. So like, obviously he, 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 he who must not be named, I think is definitely gotta be on the board. <laughs> uh, you know, believe it or not, he's still going for a thousand rushing yards. I know people probably don't believe that that's a thing. And I mean, he, not he, yet. Yeah. Don't count your chickens yet, man. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. So, but I think he's got to be at least in conversation too. If you're, you know, with these Cowboys, I also think that the fact that the Cowboys went to Washington last year in the same exact spot and got absolutely dusted and played a terrible shit game, yeah, is probably something they've been just railroaded on the entire week. Like, absolutely been like, I'm sure Mike McCarthy and those guys have literally been letting them know, like, we were in this spot last year, we completely went to Washington, we did not show up. Uh, Sam Howell's first career start. Uh, I think they lost 26 to six in that game. Yeah. So I think that they're hearing that all week. I think they come out and they're going to want to handle business. Cowboys are more interesting though. Cause it just depends on who gets the touchdowns, right? Like where do they get spread yeah. out? And like I said, if you go back to that Thanksgiving game, they were dispersed and yep. that's all you need for them to not be concentrated for like CD lamb at his cost to not get there. Mm -hmm. Now he, he, he just, he's definitely not an easy objective fade. Uh, I'll have some Dak stacks too, for sure. I'll have some onslaughts this game. But like I said, like when you look at like other wide receivers, like when I see 
where Justin Jefferson is going to be owned versus, you know, CD Lamb. Like, I'm definitely more interested in that. You brought up Chase. Uh, there's guys like Mike Evans, DK Metcalf, Amon Roth. He ends up not being popular. Uh, and then if you're playing on FanDuel, Tyreek Hill is on the main slate. Like, so, and he's cheaper than CD Lamb this week for the first time this year. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they included that game on the main slate. So, like, Tyreek Hill at the lower ownership, I'm more interested in that as well because. I just need the touchdowns to not go completely through CD Lamb. Yeah, and I talk about a talk about a game that, uh, it, of course, the NFL flexed it to to nationally televised. Um, why wouldn't they? Talk about a game that that means a whole heck of a lot. If you are playing on FanDuel, I think you have to have interest in that game. Do you want to talk about that game at all before we get out of here? Yeah, we can touch on it. I will say, I think people are low key underestimating the fact that the Dolphins could maybe let their foot off the gas at some point. So I say that I know. So the dolphins, I believe are going to play this game to win. They want objectively want to be the number two seed and they want that play at home next week. But also yeah. they just lost Bradley Chubb in a, in a spot where he probably shouldn't have been on the field. And they yes. are just, they are just nuked everywhere. They have injuries all over the board. We don't know if most it's going to play this, 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 they're, they're basically operating with 40% of their offensive line. We don't know if Robert Hunt's going to play the defensive nine now has lost their two best pass rushers in a span of five weeks. They aren't going to have Xavier Howard. So like, this is a spot to where if like they're down early, I could definitely see this team being proactive and kind of letting their foot off the gas and trying to get some of these, because they're in the playoffs already. Like they're not out. Uh, yeah. They know they're in. So like they do have, if, if like the bills go up 21, nothing early, like they did in Buffalo early, maybe we see some of these dolphins come off the field at some point, but definitely from an objective top down lens, like that's a, 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 a like one probability outcome, but they're going to play this game. So you have to be in to like Devin a Chan is the guy that obviously stands out the most, right? Anytime Devin a Chan's gotten any type of tangible workload in the, while he's been in the NFL, He's absolutely popped for fantasy football. Yeah. So if Raheem Mostert's going to get one more week, you got to be interested in A-Chan on FanDuel. He's 8,200 there, completely palatable. You can get him in lineups easy. Uh, I think from a tournament perspective, it becomes very interesting. Uh, and no, I say this as someone who built Kansas City Chiefs stacks last week and got dragged again into the, the earth. <laughs> uh, but there is a, a, a path for the ghost of Stefan Diggs to potentially do something in this game. Uh, obviously we talked about Xavier Howard anytime Eli Apple the past three years of football has had to step on in in a uniform on the football field he has gotten absolutely just flooded yeah. he, came, he immediately came on the field last week and give a 75 yard touchdown <laughs> um, when these teams played in week four they didn't have the Dolphins didn't have Jalen Ramsey but Stefan Diggs put Cater Kohu in the spin cycle like three times that game like yeah. absolutely just just roughed him up. Uh, so, like, what does Vic Fangio even do? Do they have Ramsey try to shadow uh, Diggs? Like, how do I'm curious to see how Vic Fangio calibrates the loss of Bradley Chubb now trying to combat this team that has really one clear pass catcher in Stefan Diggs that like stands out. Uh, because if you look at Josh Allen's past seven games, it literally lines up with Stefan Diggs' last seven games. Yeah. Like, Josh Allen has not been a good passer. Only Bryce Young has completed fewer percent of his passes over the past seven games than Josh Allen has. Ooh. And you just went through that that Ooh. Bryce Young box score. But, <laughs> yeah. but Josh Allen keeps getting their fans football because the dude rushes for a touchdown every game. He's literally a rusher, two touchdowns, and I think yes. three weeks in a row. Strong so, like bull. But yeah, I mean, so I'm very curious to see how Vic Fangio calibrates like the loss of Bradley Chubb being down these pass rushers, being down Xavier Howard, like 
but I, I think people are underestimating the probably the, the potential path to where like the Dolphins maybe don't go full throttle at a certain point in this game if the game script gets there. That kind of brings up an interesting point too. We'll uh, we'll end it with this. There's two players that have been known to be very vocal. They're both wide receivers um, that have been known to be very vocal um, on the sideline after the games. Those are AJ Brown and Stefan Diggs. Both of them have are coming off of a week where they were very vocal. And typically what we've seen their coaching staff do after these guys have been vocal is give them a shit ton of targets um, to kind of keep the peace a little bit. Um, it, some people say diva, some people say whatever, but that's kind of the situation that we're coming into this week with Stefan Diggs, AJ Brown. So um, some very interesting dynamics with that, at least because we know that these matchups are good on paper for each of those guys. Um, and I don't see a ton of expected ownership on AJ Brown or uh, Stefan Diggs on FanDuel. So uh, anything to add to that? No, like I said, I have Eagles placeholders. Like I definitely want to play in large fields and just try to get more information as we gathered it. Right now, we've gotten absolutely nothing and no information out of Nick Sirianni. So yeah. uh, right now, I'm, I'm if I have to go all the way into the 4 p.m. slate and just kind of go blind, like so be it. But I definitely will have kind of some stacks around that game. Well, just through Hertz and AJ Brown. I think the other pieces I don't care about, but yeah. <laughs> just those two. And let's talk about the the game theory aspect of saying like, hey, I have Philadelphia shells on the main slate. Why yeah. is that more beneficial to us than saying I'll just play those guys in the afternoon slate? Well, I mean, so definitely. So it just goes by like what you had around them. So like you talked about the split. So like, let's say I have Hertz, uh, Brown stacks, and maybe they're mixed in with, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of Calvin Ridley, who we talked about, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a Calvin Ridley or a Mike Evans. We talked about Rashad White. I'm trying to think of like some of these early slate guys that we were like, uh, yeah, uh, that Justin Jefferson. Are, are I was thinking more like the more or less like the guys that we're looking for, like the the one the, to pop off that maybe aren't as popular. You brought up Saints Falcons, like any of those pieces. Okay. And say I have them in a shell with my quarterback and wide receiver stack hasn't played, but all those guys get there, right? Like I do, I have that run out. That allows you either the potential to kind of like push the, the gas pedal or kind of go to something that's going to be more popular because you're lower owned guys that already hit, right? And you already have an advantage on those gamers that are coming in with the heavier ownership on, say, a Dak Prescott or a Geno Smith, Kyler Murray uh, versus that. So it just gives you kind of that, that uh, you know, that flexibility. Uh, to kind of decide what you want to do uh, and kind of puts you in a sometimes a quandary. Sometimes you say like, all right, well, I'm going to play it safe. And then you're like, shit, man, just two AJ Brown touchdowns happened. Yeah. You know, Three, four. Yeah, 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 exactly. But, uh, it gives you the flexibility and it gives you flexibility. Like I said, where you don't have to do that for every lineup. You can do something where you hedge, you can do a half and half, you know, come off of half your lineups and go to Kyler, James Connor, or a, a DK Metcalf, Gino or something like that. But that's kind of where, how I always play those situations. I like to play the, uh, the my late PM guys that maybe are even more risky with the early guys because I care about my early cards getting revealed. The Calvin Ridley's, the Mike Evans, right? Like the those are the guys I care about at one o'clock. Yeah, because they're going to reveal yeah. what, how I handle four o'clock. And if you say I'm only going to play like AJ Brown or Eagles in the afternoon slate, you're basically giving up the edge of the uncertainty factor. Everyone's going to have the information. Yes, you're going to have like um, 
you're going to have lower ownership on those guys because the news is going to come late regardless. So like there's going to be less people that leave open the flexibility to flex to those guys in the afternoon slate, but that's going to be even lessened on the main slate. So from a like game theory perspective, it's more beneficial to take on that uncertainty on the main slate where the entire field is working with a like same set of information. And now you have the added benefit of having that flexibility late um, to play around with the Eagles guys to um, come off or keep to stay on them. If we don't get like, if we don't get any information about the Eagles, that would be optimal. That would, it feels right. most uncomfortable, but that would be optimal for us to mm -hmm. play Eagles guys on the main slate because now you're going to have such low ownership on these guys and they carry immense ceiling in this spot. So wanted to flush that out real quick as our departing 2023 now into 2024 season, man. Holy smokes, dude. We are here. Elf Bean, do you have any seasonal parting shots for us, man? Uh, no, it was it was a good year, man. I had a nice profitable season. Obviously, you come on strong in the you know uh, November December months. Hopefully, we can close it down with one good one. I know some people don't like to play this slate, but I, as, as someone that only plays NFL, I'm going to be still involved firing. Uh, we can. It's the last full slate, man. I want to enjoy it. It's the last time where I'm going to have multiple TVs set up with my son, and we're trying to watch each little quadrant of the TVs, yeah. trying to figure out did this guy catch an 18 yard pass that matters to me versus you know. Uh, you know, did not. So I'm, I'm excited. It's our final, you know, Sunday. It's, it's like you said, it's bittersweet. Like I said, it's bittersweet that uh, this show was successful and, and, you know, it's coming to an end, but hopefully we get to kind of run it back and do something again uh, in the future. 100%, man. Absolute pleasure working alongside you every week. And if you're seeing us for the first time, I am Hilo. He is Rich. You can find me at oneweekseason.com. You can find him at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Uh, that correct? Yep, you got it. I don't want to butcher it, dude. Uh, with that, pleasure. Thank you for joining us for the 2023 season, and we hope to see you again next year. Peace. One week season.